Why don't you go ahead and grab a seat? And uh, hey, it's good to be back at First Baptist Church. It's been one or two months since we've been here. And uh, some of you are like, well, hey, that's good. Who in the world are you? Some of you are like, oh, yeah, the old shoe is back again. And uh, we're just comfortable with him up there. I used to be the pastor here for 21 years. And it's just good to be back. We've been traveling to and fro across the earth. In fact, we put on 8,000 miles in uh, three and a half months. And it's been a, a whirlwind experience. We've preached uh, at the end of next week when I preach here. It'll be 20 times since August. And uh, we've been excited what God's been doing in hearts and lives and seeing some people really make some major decisions, uh, some coming to know Christ. And uh, it's just been a lot of fun to, to continue to preach I couldn't do this anymore, but it sure is fun to still be able to preach, and I'm thankful God has still given me that ability to preach. So I'm going to ask you about our health, and um, we're really doing pretty good, all things considering for our age. I mean, my goodness, we're still alive. That's a good thing. Um, <laughs> Colleen, you can pray for her. She'll be here second service. I'm going to ask where she is. She'll be here second service. She's going to be having surgery again in November, on November 16th. She had knee surgery two years ago. And about eight months in, some things were not going right. And uh, come to find out there's something wrong in there, that whether some of the adhesive came loose or what, but she is in a lot of pain. And so hopefully that'll correct it. And her big concern was, will it be corrected in time to go to Florida? Uh, you know, not will it be permanent, but just can we go to Florida? That was her big thing. And uh, so we'll be going down there in January and continuing some ministry down there. And I'm thankful because God uh, brought me through a pacemaker situation. And uh, three days before my grandson's wedding, and I got to participate in the wedding and do the wedding. And so it was just, God has been so good, giving me so much strength and, and all those things. And we just want to give him praise and honor and glory for that because uh, without him, none of this would happen. I want to speak to you about a subject that we know theologically, but sometimes forget practically. You okay with that one? Even if you aren't, I'm going to speak on it anyhow. I always love it when Phil does that. Are you okay with that? Well, like we're going to stop him? <laughs> Psalm 57 in your Bibles, would you go there, please? And I want to talk to you about a theme that we all know and we all know really, really well, and it's this. God is love. You understand that theologically, don't you? But what does it mean practically for you and for me as followers of Jesus Christ? Before we get there, I want to speak in general about this love of God. You do know that God loves all people. You're familiar with that, aren't you? Remember that verse in John chapter 3, verse 16? For God so loved the world. That means everybody, everywhere, all the time, God loves people. But something happened in the history of mankind. Mankind sinned against God. And that sin against God had a devastating effect upon humanity. And then it separated all of us from God. It began with Adam. And because Eve was created from Adam, this is what I preached on last week at a church, all humanity has come from one person, that's Adam, and he plunged us all into sin. And we're separated now from God. We're born separated from God. And here's what has happened with that. And Isaiah chapter 59 says, but your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. I mean, here's God in heaven who loves us, but there's this division between us so that we're separated and he does not hear us. And aren't you glad God didn't leave us there? 
This God of love did a wonderful thing for us. This God of love made a way for us to come to him so that we can be forgiven of our sins. Let's go back to that verse in John chapter 3. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That's probably one of the first Bible verses I ever memorized. And you know what? It is more precious to me today than it was when I was a little child. Why? Because God loves me. And Jesus died for me. And because I believed in him, he has given me a wonderful gift called eternal life. And I wonder, do you have that gift today? Do you know for certain that if you were passed from the scene of this earth, you'd be in heaven with Jesus? Now, God's people all get a little excited about that, friends. I know it's early in the morning, but just think, Jesus loves you. He died for you, and he's given you the gift of eternal life. And if you don't know that, I hope today at the end of the service you come to know Jesus. But beyond that, he's, he's not only done that, but he's closed that wall of separation so greatly that now he does the most amazing thing to us. He calls us the children of God. Can you believe that? From an alien and a stranger to a child of Almighty God. John chapter 1 and verse 12 and 1 John chapter 3 verse 1, I put them together for you. It says simply this, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called the children of God? And so we are. Do you ever thank God that you're just a child of his? That you know him as your father? You can call to him anytime and he'll meet whatever need that you have. One day, Coley and I were sitting out on our back porch and it was kind of quiet in our neighborhood and all of a sudden, this little kid, we hear this voice going, I am a child of God. And, we, and then we sang in Russia, and a little bit later, I am a child of God. Hey, we ought to have... The faith like that little kid who just screams it from the mountaintops, I am a child of God. Do you know how privileged you are? Boy, we need to wake up this morning. <laughs> Woo! You see, those of you who are new and don't know who I am, I like a lot of interaction, okay? Because you need to get excited about God's word. The fact of who you are in Jesus Christ, a forgiven child of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And he loves you so much. Again, if you don't know Jesus, I hope by the end of today you will. But if you do know him, I want to speak to you today about the subject of God as love and how it applies to us in our, in our problems of life. Because so often we feel overwhelmed, don't we? Some of you are sitting in here and you're battling cancer today. Some of you have a loved one with, with Alzheimer's disease. Some of you have some heart problems. And you're like, I don't know if I'll be around next year at this time. Some of you are dealing with the unknowns of your health. Some of you have children who are far away from God. Some of you may be on the brink of divorce and your life is crumbling right now. And at times you call out and say, God, where are you? My life is falling apart and I'm devastated. On a lesser note, we're all dealing with less money 
spendable income than we've had before. You go to the gas pump and man, it's like take your banker with you. It's bad news. You go to the grocery store. Wives, how many of you do the primary shopping in your home? Let me see. Am I right? It's a devastating effect. We were down in Florida right after the hurricane to, try, to check on our little trailer down there, make sure it's okay. Went to the grocery store, went to Walmart, no eggs, no meat. This is at Walmart. I walked out of there a day later after we went back and they had some more stuff. Three bags of grocery, $97. I went, are you kidding me? It's hard today, isn't it? And I'm not, I don't get real political in my stuff, and I'm not going to cast all this stuff, but it's just hard. Men, can I encourage you to do something? I'm retired, and I get to do this all the time. I love to help my wife go grocery shopping, because once in a while I sneak some things in there she doesn't <laughs> approve of. But men, I want you to do something just to help your wife, could you? Go with her to the grocery store. Don't try to help her. She knows what she's doing, okay? Don't say, well, why are you buying that instead of this? Leave her alone. But go and observe and watch her take something, look at the price and put it back and try to find something else. And then stand with her at the checkout line when you pay for a week's worth of groceries. And all of a sudden, you'll begin to understand what your wife is going through in this incredible day and age in which we're living and we cry out once in a while, God, don't you hear? Don't you see? Don't you know what's going on down here? It's tough. And in this lament psalm, in Psalm 57, David is hiding in a cave and he shares his difficulties as, as the King Saul tries to kill him. And it's like he, he identifies with us in our struggles of life. And the key, and I'll give you the key in case you fall asleep. The key to success for David is found, found in verse 3 and in verse 10. It is the steadfast love of God, his love and his faithfulness. David is saying, the world is swirling around me in difficulties, but one thing I can count on is, God, you love me, and God, you are faithful. And if we can ever get that as the bedrock in the midst of our difficulties of life, our lives will begin to change. Because what's happening in our lives as God provides for us on a daily basis is from a loving hand of our Father in heaven who always loves us and always provides for us. So I only have two points today, okay? A lot of subpoints, but only two points. Here it is. God loves you. You can trust him. Let that sink in for a minute. God loves you and you can trust him. Look with me at verse one, if you would. Be merciful to me, O God. Be merciful to me, for in you my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings I will take refuge till the storms of destruction pass by. I cry out to God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. He will send from heaven and save me. He will put to shame him who tramples on me, Selah. God will send out his steadfast love and his faithfulness. My soul is in the midst of lions. 
I lie down amid fiery beasts, the children of man whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. They set a net for my steps. My soul was bowed down. They dug a pit in my way, but they have fallen into it themselves. Selah. My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make melody. Awake, my glory. Awake, O harp and lyre. I will awake the dawn. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. For I will sing praises to you among the nations. For your steadfast love is great to the heavens and your faithfulness to the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. Hallelujah, right? By the way, that's a word we've forgotten in the church today. Great word. Hallelujah. Our God reigns. So how does this all fit together? God loves you. You can trust him. Begin with me at verse 1, if you would. Trust him to be your refuge. Hey, the storms of life get pretty brutal once in a while, don't they? But look what he says here. Be merciful to me, O God, be merciful to me. For in you my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings I will take refuge. Till the storms of destruction pass by. There are dangers in life. In this one, there are storms of destruction. In, in, in verse 3, they trample on me. Lions and fiery beasts in verse 4. But we can have confidence in God in the midst of these dangers. And we cry out to God when the troubles swirl around us, confident that he will hear us. And by the way, he hears us even when we think he doesn't hear us. His ears are always attentive to his children. The greatest comfort for our souls in the difficulties of life is that God hears us. He knows us. And when I spend time with him, the difficulties begin to fade a little bit because my focus is on Almighty God. David pleads for mercy. Did you see that twice there? Be merciful to me, O God. Be merciful to me. He knew he could depend on God for help. You see, David really had nowhere to go but to God for his help. The king of Israel was after him. And God alone would be his defender. Nobody's going to defeat the king of Israel right now. God alone has to intervene for him. The repetition of have mercy shows his intense need of God's help. You see, asking God for his mercy is requesting God to show us kindness and come to our aid in the midst of difficulty. Sometimes when life is really bad, all we can do is fall on the ground and say, God, have mercy on me, would you please? Listen to the cry of my heart for help. I'm in desperate need of you. It is never wrong to plead for mercy. Because in that hour of need, it shows our desire for God's help above all else. So right now, if your world is swirling about you with difficulty, I encourage you, get alone with God and cry to God for mercy. Say, God, help. This pain is so intense right now. This difficulty is so overwhelming. I just need you. And the amazing thing is God will come and fill every void in your life. God is our place of refuge here, here he says. He's, he's our rock of, of refuge, our hiding place from the storms of life. David's enemies are in hot pursuit of him. 
but he chose to trust God's love, God's justice, and God's protection. I mean, can you imagine the king of Israel breathing down your neck? What are you gonna do? I run to the refuge. I cling to the rock that is higher than I. Remember the scriptures? It's never run wrong to run to the tower of refuge. Everything's right with us. It's not a sign of weakness. It's a sign of strength. It's a sign of dependency on the Almighty, who is the only one who can help you in your time of need. And then I like this. He, he said, we take shelter underneath your wings. It's like the mother bird in the nest. And the chicks are in the nest and she takes her wings in the storms that come and covers her little ones so they are protected. Isn't that a great picture? So here I am, my world is swirling around me with difficulty and I cry to God for mercy and he takes his, his wings, if you will, and he covers me and said, don't worry, child, you're protected. I got you in the midst of this storm. Don't worry about it. It's going to be okay. See, life is tough, and God knows that. He knows that we are in difficulty. But David said, I'm going to stay close to God's protection until the storms of destruction have passed by. Friend, I have news for you. David knew that his problem would end someday. Of this, David was certain. And I'm going to tell you something. Your problem is going to end someday. I don't know when, but it's going to end. If not here, it's going to end in heaven. And boy, is that going to be good news. I don't care what you're facing today, heaven's around the corner. And all of this stuff that we endure on earth is going to be gone and over, and we get to enjoy Jesus forever. It doesn't get better than that, does it? The psalmist put it this way, that weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes in the morning. Well, hey, there's a grand and glorious dawn coming. It's called the return of Jesus Christ. And he's coming to take us home. Isn't that good news? And we're going to be with Jesus forever. What a day of rejoicing that's going to be, isn't it? Going to be a great day for us. So trust him in life as your refuge. But here's something else. Trust him to fulfill his purpose for you. Did you know that you were created for a purpose? You're just not on life to occupy, on earth to occupy space. You're not here to see how much wealth you can attain. You're not here to see how much uh, uh, money you can spend, so to speak, of that wealth. You're not here to enjoy life particularly here. You're here for the purpose of Almighty God and what he has designed for you. You talk about a rough transition is when a pastor preaches every week to a wonderful congregation like this and then all of a sudden hits the brakes and does nothing. I'm like, God, what on earth is going on? My brain's in shambles. I don't know how to think right sometimes. And it's like, ah. And slowly God began to do some things in my life and showed me his purpose now. It's so different and it's so much fun. Because you see, when you get older, you don't care what people think anymore. <laughs> we don't have to preach to the same people every week. You don't care. I mean, I get to preach and leave. It is so neat. <laughs> but one of the things that I'm so excited about is what God has given to Colleen and me as ministry. 
it's not all the time preaching like I've been doing. We go to Florida, and you know what our ministry is? One-on-one with people. Talking about, uh, I, I tell people, I don't go live in the Christian village down the road. I live with the pagans. You talk about people who are in desperate need in their 80s who have never walked with Jesus a day in their life and don't know him, and God puts you in the middle of them and say, tell them about me. I love to go to the swimming pool every day. I know you're up here in the wintertime, but my pool is 85 degrees every day. <laughs> and I go down there, and you know, old people don't swim. They just walk around the pool. <laughs> Bob up and down, and you know, that's, that's our day. It's great life. You ought to try it sometime, just bobbing around the pool. But you know, they're as concerned about as inflation as you are because... They don't have any way to make any extra money. They're as concerned about the world politics as you are. And last year, I got so many opportunities to say, you know, they, what's going on in America? What's happening? And I just look at them and say, you know, according to the Bible, America's not a prominent place in the end times. And they look at me, their eyes are this big. Wide open door to talk to them about Jesus. And you know what I noticed? All the language changes whenever I walk into the pool and they're close to somebody. It's a different life. So God has a purpose for you. And your purpose is going to change sometimes as you age. Through different stages in life, what has God designed for you to do? David says in verse 2 that I'll cry out to God most high who, who fulfills his purpose for me. God loves you. And will fulfill his purposes in you. Remember the verse in Jeremiah 29, 11? Again, I know it's written to Israel, but I think it applies to us. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil. To give you a future and a hope. God does not have despair written for your life. God has a purpose. He has hope for you for the future. He has something good in store for you. What's the key to discovering his purpose? Would you notice in verse 2, I cry out to you. The key in discovering the purpose of God is prayer. God, what do you want me to do today? Not so much what do you want me to do the rest of my life. What do you want me to do today? Who are you going to bring my, along my pathway to talk about Jesus today? Who are you going to bring along my pathway that needs a word of encouragement today? I'm not so concerned about me fulfilling God's purposes 10 years from now if I'm even on the face of the earth. I'm concerned about today, what's God's purpose for my life today? And if you begin to live with that, every day becomes purposeful. It's not just another day to sit on the couch and play video games. It's a day to have meaningful relationships with people. It's a day to enter into life with people. By the way, you can play video games. I used to enjoy them. I don't anymore, but I used to. You can enjoy the football games, you can enjoy, but live life with purpose. Do you notice in this verse that God, or David called out to God most high, the God of all creation, and all creation is subject to him, is God most high who's going to protect him. David had confidence in God's protection. Psalm 56 verse 11 says, in God I trust, I shall not be be afraid. I like this. What can man do to me? I like how somebody put it, who cares what man does to me? I got God. I got God. And he said, I have confidence in him. 
Now, I know we're supposed to vote coming up, right? No, right? If you don't like what's going on, vote. If you like what's going on, vote. It's our right as Americans, not as Christians, as Americans, okay? There's a distinction there. America is not the church. You got that, right? But no matter who is elected, they are not our deliverers. God is our deliverer. And we need to understand that in today's day and age because we're, we're all caught up in the church in this political stuff. The church is called to something higher, to live on a plane that represents Jesus Christ to all the world, and he is our deliverer. Now, this was the Old Testament here about, about God being with us and God helping us, and what should I do to be afraid but we need that in our day and age, don't we? Watch Hebrews 13. It said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? So when you go to the doctor and you get that horrible news, the Lord is my helper. He's got something planned for this that I do not know. I shared this with you before, but so let me be repetitive because that's what old people do is they repeat. But some of you haven't heard this. When I got my brain condition several years ago, I met with the, with the neurologist and I said, what is wrong with me? Well, here's news you don't want to hear. She looked at me without batting an eye and Colleen sitting next to me and she goes, early onset Alzheimer's. That's news you do not want to hear. Now, let me stop you for a minute. <laughs> it's not early onset Alzheimer's. There's a fancy word called mild cognitive impairment. So people say, what is that? I don't know. My brain doesn't work right. That's all I know. <laughs> Riding home, by the way, that was the Wednesday before Thanksgiving. And at our house, we sit around the table and we all share the blessings from this past year. <laughs> that was a very difficult Thanksgiving meal. Riding home, I said to Colleen, you know what? I'm not afraid of this thing. I just have a couple of requests from God. Number one, that I don't dishonor you, sweetheart. That I don't dishonor my kids. I don't dishonor my church. And I don't dishonor God. Why? Because God's my helper. He's got this. If it's invaded my life, he's got a plan for me. So you know what I discovered? I help all sorts of people who are going through mental issues in life, like Alzheimer's and, and dementia, and I can help their spouse saying, oh, let me tell you how they're thinking. And they leave encouraged, knowing something different about how to minister to them. That's God's purpose for my life. Do you understand that? So what are you battling with right now that God can use as his purpose for your life to reach a whole bunch of people who don't know Jesus and to encourage people who do know him? See, we don't think like that. We think, oh man, this is tragic. 
No, God has a purpose for you. He will fulfill it, and I just need to cling to him. What can man do to me? The worst that can happen to me on planet Earth is what? To die. And by the way, if I read my Bible right, that isn't too bad. Because I get to be with Jesus. Do you understand he has a purpose for you? Let me put this in your minds, though, for a moment. Remember that God's greatest purpose for you is conformity to Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 8, verse 29 says, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. Remember, we're called God's children. Now God's delight is that all of his children resemble his Son. That the world is infiltrated with people who act and talk like Jesus. Wouldn't that be revolutionary in the world? That's what God's design is for your life and my life. Here's the third thing about trusting him. Trust him to surround you with his love in difficult times. Verse 3 says, he will send from heaven and save me. He will put to shame him who tramples upon me. God will send out a steadfast love and his faithfulness. The greatest thing that will surround you in times of trouble are God's love and God's faithfulness. We need to trust him in verse 3, the first part, to deliver us. Do you see that there? God, I like this. He will send from heaven his help. Who is that? Is it an angel? Who's he going to send to us? The angel or some calamity? For in David's case, that's the Saul. When we call to God for help, here's a big deal. We must expect him to send us the help we need. In his time. And by the way, God's time rarely matches my time. I don't know how you live, but man, I'm like, God, hurry up. Hurry up, it's getting late here. Can you come quick? And God's in heaven saying, I'm looking from eternity's perspective and I got this all figured out. Don't worry, John. He'll send his help at the right time. And then the verse I started with here a moment ago is trust him to surround you with his love in difficult times. The greatest thing is his love in the tumultuous times of life, his faithfulness. You see, the enemy wants to give us problems to drive us away from God. God uses problems to draw us to himself. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7 says, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. What does he want you to do? Throw him on Jesus. You're in difficult times. What you? Call out to God. That's what he's asking you to do. And by the way, the enemy tries to convince us that God does not love us or that he isn't concerned about us. But I'm here to tell you this morning that nothing, absolutely nothing, can separate us from the love that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I know you know these verses, but let's just look at them again. Romans chapter 8. What then shall we say to those things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Knowing all these things, we are more than what? Conquerors through him who loved us. 
For I am sure that neither life, nor death, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Hallelujah, right? He loves us no matter what comes our way. Trust him to know your situation. Watch this in verse 4. My soul is in the midst of lions. I lie down amid fiery beasts. The children of man whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. Skip down to verse 6. They set a net for my steps. My soul was bowed down. They dug a pit in my way, but they have fallen into it themselves. Saul and his army wanted to destroy David as a lion does its prey. At night, he lay down to sleep, and the enemy was as a fiery beast set out to, to harm him. They came at him with swords and arrows and spears, every weapon they could think of, even with words of taunting with their tongues. It set a trap for David. In verse 6, he's so discouraged that God turned things around. I love this story. The background is when David's in this cave and all of a sudden he's feeling all of this stuff in Psalm 57 and he looks up and who's standing in front of him but Saul with his back to him. Remember that? His men saying, kill him, David, kill him. He said, no, can't touch the Lord's anointed. So what does he do? You remember the story? Cuts off a piece of his robe. (laughs) And he goes out later and said, hey, Saul, Recognize any of this stuff? Wait a minute. What's David doing? He's letting God take care of his problem. How many of you are like me? I'm going to do whatever I can to solve this problem. Every once in a while I say, I'm, I'm getting on the phone. I'm calling. She goes, ooh. Wait a minute. What's God doing? What's God doing? Now, there are times to pick up the phone and make a call. I understand that. There's right timing to everything. But sometimes I think we rush things and don't let God do his work. It's a lesson I need to learn in life. So God loves us. You can trust him. But watch this. God loves you. You need to praise him. Look at verse 7 with me, would you please? Excuse me, let's look at verse five, I'm sorry. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. We praise him by doing what? Exalting him, lifting high the name of Jesus. Here's David in the midst of this prayer about all of his troubles, and he realizes that God is in control, that he's the sovereign God of the universe, and his soul begins to lift up in praise to almighty God. When David was in distress, he did not pray. Listen to this. He did not pray that God would exalt him, but that God would be exalted. Too often we pray about ourselves being lifted up, about us being exalted a little bit. David saying, no, I don't care about me right now. God, you be the exalted one. This verse is a declaration of God's position, of his glory, and a prayer that all people around would recognize his greatness. Look at it again. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all of the earth. David wanted people to know God for his exalted position, for his splendor, regardless of what happened to him. Wouldn't you like to live like that? 
God, what happens to me is inconsequential. What happens to your name is the most important thing in my life. That's how the children of God live. It's not about us. It's about God all the time. Who he is, what he's doing, how he's orchestrating the things of the universe. Barnes said in his commentary that God should be worthy of confidence and love, that he should reign, that his law should be obeyed, that his plan should be accomplished is of more importance to the universe than anything that merely pertains to us, than the success of any of our own plans, than our health, our prosperity, or our life. He has it right. It's about God. It's about God. I love in my life to, people talk to me about things and I go, well, you know, let me tell you what God did. And they just take a step back and like, okay. Because you know what, truth of the matter is, I mess my life up. Anybody else mess their life up? But God is always perfect. And when you can say, listen, this is what God did in this area. Let me tell you what God did for me over here. You say, I'm not sure I can do that. Yes, you can. It's just exalting God. And people have a hard time refuting God. You just relate it back to him. Exalt him in his position. And then praise him with a determined heart in verse 7. Watch this. My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make melody. David's heart was fixed, prepared for every event, focused completely on God so he could praise him every moment. Our hearts need to be fixed to praise God for his boundless love and faithfulness. Just think for a moment. There's never a time when God is not loving and God is not faithful to you. God is total love and God is totally faithful. But you're not gonna praise him if your heart is not fixed on this is how I'm going to live. And by the way, when you start talking about God, not everybody's gonna get mad at you. A lot of people are gonna smile at you because it hits a tender chord with most Americans still. God did this, and I just wanna thank him for what he's done. Praise him with exuberance. How's that one in verse eight? David cries, awaken my soul. Awaken my whole being in this matter of praise. Awake my glory. That's, the, that's his entire being. Awake, O harp and lyre. I will awake the dawn. David wanted everything within him to awaken to the glory and greatness of God with great praise. Now, I love, I love singing. I can't do it. I can't sing, at least that anybody wants to hear. In fact, it discourages a lot of people when I sing. But one of, my, one of my difficulties today is that so much of the modern music is pretty fast. In this brain, by the time I read it and the words start to come out my lips, you're already two words down. So I just have to sit there a lot of times and go, hmm. Now, if you're like me and you can't do it, that doesn't mean you still can't praise God. When you come in here, any worship service you go to, your heart 
ought to be determined to praise God. Whether it's in singing or whether it's in spoken word, however it is, you are determined you're going to praise God. You ought to speak in a lot of different churches. There is so much different music out there. Oh my goodness. I, I go through the whole scheme of life. It's like, okay, here it is, here it is, here it is, here it is. And if I walked in and just said, well, it's not my type of music today, so I don't think I'm going to be able to enter into everything, that'd be a pretty boring life. But when I enter a worship auditorium, it's going to be God. I don't know what the music is. I can tell pretty quick I'm walking in, but I'm here to praise you today regardless of what happens. When I'm in the swimming pool in Florida, I'm here to praise God today. When I'm with my neighbors talking about life, I'm here to praise God today. I want to draw people, and I'm going to do it with exuberance. He wanted everything to awaken to the glory and the greatness of God with great praise. And then he says, I'm going to use some instruments to help me so I could sing the praises of God. And did you like this? He said, I'm going to awaken the dawn. I'm going to start the day with praising God. Now, I know you need your cup of coffee first. Or if you're like me, you need a Coke Zero to get some caffeine in you to get going here in the morning. David said, you know what? I get out of bed, and the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to praise the Almighty. Do you think it would make a difference in how you listened or, or how you lived life if you began with praising God instead of the news? How about if we woke up and began to praise God? How about if before you got out of bed, you praised God that day? God, thank you, I'm still alive. I made it through another night. God, thank you for all you've done. Thanks for your love. Thanks for your faithfulness. And then, for those of you with little kids, then you can wake them up with joy. They're not going to be joyful, but you should be. We have the experience of my daughter living with us now, my daughter and son-in-law. I've gotten reacquainted with life with kids again. They don't like to get up in the morning. It's like, Put a block and tackle on them and haul them out of bed. But you should start with praise. And then when you're praising God, it begins to rub off on your kids. And it rubs off on your coworkers. Your family is affected by your praise. He said, I'm going to awaken the dawn with my praise. It sets the course for the rest of the day. The early morning focus of David's life was God and his greatness. Oh, that we could follow his example. If we woke up in the morning and just said, God, how great you are. I've fallen in love with one of the words, with some of the words of one of the Psalms, I think it's Psalm 8. I quite often just look out at the world and just go, Oh, Lord, how majestic is your name in all of the earth. His greatness and his majesty just fills my soul sometimes. And if we could ever live like that, it would make a difference. And then in verse 9, he said, I'm going to let everybody hear me, so let others hear you. He said, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praise to you among the nations. We've already hit on some of this, but the people of Israel are going to hear David praising God as well as all the nations around him. And when God works in our lives, friends, we need to let others 
know it, no matter how small it remain or it is. I believe, friends, listen to me, that believers have remained silent too long. And I don't mean in politics, and I don't mean in all of these other areas. We've remained too silent too long in praising the Almighty in the midst of the people. No wonder they don't have a focus on God. They're dead in their sins. They're separated from him. And we who are alive have a responsibility to bring the attention of people to God. And we do it by our praise with exuberance. We need to talk about the greatness of our God, what he's done for us. And then I believe when when praise comes from our lips like that, evangelism will be a natural byproduct of it because people will want to know the God who has been so active in our lives because they do not know that kind of God. It's never wrong to talk about God and give him praise. The reasons for our praise in verse 10, for your steadfast love is great to the heavens and your faithfulness to the clouds. Aren't you glad there's never an end to God's love and faithfulness? They're to the heavens and to their clouds. I do have to admit, if I were God, there would be an end to my love for me. How about you for yourself? Because sometimes I don't do everything I ought to do. But God's never that way. We are always his children and he is in love with us. Aren't you glad? So, how about if we do something? Let's praise his name forever. Look at this in verse 11. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. And all God's people said, Hallelujah! Hallelujah, our God reigns, and we do it with excitement. God loves you. You can trust him. God loves you. Let's praise him together. So are there some storms in your life right now? Big ones, little ones. You know what I've discovered about storms? They come in all sizes, all strengths. And your storm may be big in your life right now, but compared to somebody battling cancer, it's not very big. You think, well, you know, I ought to be able to handle this. No, you know what? A storm is a storm. And it's trying to rock your faith. And maybe when we're all done, you need to come down and spend some time with our prayer team in front and just pray about a storm in your life. Say, I just want you to pray that God gives me strength to make it through this thing successfully with praise to his name. You need to sit down and figure out, maybe write down some ways that you can exalt God in the storms of your life. How am I going to do this? How am I going to lift up his name to people around me? I, I tell people all the time, hey, in the midst of your storms of life, God is right there. Just look for him. He's not far away from you. He's right there present with you right now. Here's a big question. What steps do you need to take so your life is filled with praise? And here's the big question. Do you know Jesus? The greatest thing you could do here today is leave with a knowledge of Jesus Christ. He loves you so much he died for you.
for God so loved the world. And you put your own name in there, and boy, does that change it. For God so loved John that he gave his only son, that if John would believe in him, John would not perish, but John would have eternal life. Isn't that great? And that's how much he loves you. You can put your name right in that verse and understand God loves you. If you need help today, our prayer team will be down here. Love to pray with you. Let's pray together, could we please? Father, thanks for the privilege of speaking to these people again today. My heart is blessed every time I'm around these people. And God, I am so encouraged with what you're doing here. Now today, may we leave with exuberant praise to Almighty God for who he is, for all that he's done. And my hearts be ever drawn to him. For those who need Jesus, Lord, today, would you draw them to yourself? Would they have courage to come down and pray with somebody? For those who are in the midst of storms of life, God, would you help them? Please help them to come pray, to seek somebody else to pray and ask that the storms pass by and that Jesus be exalted in their life. God, help us, I pray. Thanks for loving us in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week.